0: Welcome to Faith and Culture, Women in Ministry, presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. My name is Pastor Brian Kiley. This is the fourth and final session of Bridgeway's 2021 Faith and Culture series. If you have not had a chance to listen to the previous sessions, we urge you to do that before listening to this final session. In session four, Pastor Lance will explain why these issues are so important. Why do we need to be concerned with God's heart for men and women in the church? Why do we need to understand the importance of women being involved in church leadership roles? Pastor Lance will address these questions and many more in this session. We encourage you to listen deeply with an open Bible and an open heart. If at any time any of this content raises questions for you, please feel free to contact us at askask at bridgeway.church. Now here is Pastor Lance Hahn and Session 4 of Faith and Culture, Women in Ministry.
1: All right, so we have been through a lot of material, yeah? And you remember it like it was yesterday, I'm assuming. Ah, nothing has happened since we last got together. All right, well, in all that we have covered, it is important that you go back through and understand all those pieces in order to understand today that if we're going to be talking about the vision and the importance of women being involved and integrated into ministry. None of that is really going to matter unless you know the stance biblically on why I believe it is so important and why I believe it is for now and why I believe that not only did God say it's okay, it was actually part of his plan. So if you have missed any of those weeks, you're going to need to go back and listen to those for this one to make a lot of sense, all right? But Upon that foundation, I want to talk about the vision of why this is so valuable. If Jesus and Paul said that we need to integrate women into the highest levels of ministry, and I believe that they did, it's going to mean some adjustments that not everyone is comfortable with, because lots of us do not like change, even if the change is positive or the change is good. But... You have to ask yourself, why are we doing any changes ever? Are we doing them for the Lord? Are we doing them for ourselves? If we're doing them for the Lord, then ultimately we can't allow the discomfort to stop us from making those changes. We need to make those anyway, right? Well, I believe that all of the stress and strain of walking through transition is absolutely worth it. Here's what all this study means. It means that, in my opinion, that we are missing female integration in key areas of influence in some of the churches, including Bridgeway. I believe that it means, in my opinion, that we are not operating as a church the way that I believe that Jesus and Paul intended. So that's why we make adjustments. It means, in my opinion, that we are hobbling some of our churches across the world from greater health and victory. It means that unless we make some changes, we will continue to miss out on some ways that God has designed us for greater power. We've made some significant progress here at Bridgeway over the time that I've had a chance to be the senior leader here, but we still have a little ways to go. When I arrived in this church, In 1997, I don't know if anybody remembers 97, it's quite a while ago, uh, I walked into a conservative Baptist of America church already established by bylaws, already established in vision, and already had an elder board and a leader board. I was 25 years old. I'd led a home church for four years. I had preached across the nation in music, but I had never set foot in a Baptist church. Shortly after my arrival, I began to challenge the current role of women in ministry in this particular church, and clearly I was the odd guy out because I was walking in from a different tradition. In 2001, I requested from our elder board an official stance listing what women could and could not do at Bridgeway. Of course, at that time, we had a different name. And in addition to the regular Normal suspects are the guidelines that you're used to with things like not preaching for the pulpit, not being in an elder board, not being a senior pastor stuff, not being a a named pastor, as opposed to those. There were some additional ones. For example, women could not lead worship or be a worship senior leader here. Women could not teach classes or small groups with men present, and women could not lead prayer from the front. Now, obviously, those have adjusted over time. That is not something that we experience today. But once again, that was change. And for a lot of people, that was difficult change. Uh, Now nobody bats an eyelash to the idea that, that now we have ladies leading us in worship on any given weekend, and there may not be a gentleman present at all. And nobody seems to be too concerned about that. The very idea that we would have a woman come up and lead prayer, or a woman come up and read from scripture, or a woman come up, those all used to be not okay. So we've made adjustments. I just think that there's a few more adjustments we need to make in order to align best with scripture. So that's what I'm going to talk about. I believe that we need key female voices in our pulpit and key women on our elder team. Why? I'm gonna give seven reasons why, which is going to take up the majority of all of our teaching time today. So if you are a note taker, this is where you grab a pen or you start typing madly on your phone, right? Wishing you had brought a laptop. But I'm gonna lay out seven reasons why we need female preachers, teachers, and leaders in our churches. Seven reasons. Why we need female preachers, teachers, and leaders in our churches. Let's jump right into it. Number one, unique wisdom and revelation. Unique wisdom and revelation. And I'm talking about from the pulpit. Women think about the world differently than men. The way that God made them allows them to engage differently with both him, this planet, and society. And this unique perspective means that as God teaches women, they get a unique piece of his wisdom. We need to hear that wisdom. We need to hear that fresh perspective. We need to know all sides of the heart of God in order to have total wisdom. So I'm gonna give you some biblical examples on what I mean that you are already engaging with. For example, Mary's prophetic song and Deborah's victory song. Do you realize that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she prophesied a unique prophecy for 10 verses in the Gospel of Luke when she visited Elizabeth. Deborah co-wrote a song of victory in the book of Judges. Why am I highlighting that? Those are canonized scripture. If we're gonna talk about Learning from women, and women teaching, those are female spoken words, authorized and locked down in scripture that is accepted across all churches. So we're already learning, if Barak had only written the song himself, would it have sounded the exact same? Once again, I am not arguing that women are better than men, or men are better than women. I'm simply saying they're unique. So once again, maybe Barack's a better songwriter. Maybe Deborah's a better songwriter. That's not the point. The point is because they co-wrote it, there was nuances from her personality and perspective and nuances from his personality and perspective. And that's how we have the scripture that we have today. Here's another example. Esther's way of dealing with Xerxes was very different than how Mordecai would have done it. Why? Unique perspective. She saw stuff that he didn't see. And God used that unique perspective by which to save the Jewish people. Here's another one. Do you realize that it was Hagar, Ishmael's mom, that came up with one of the names of God that we use today? The one who sees me. Now, many of you have done studies in the names of God and once you get into a study like that, everybody gets all fired up and they wanna, they wanna put a little picture on their wall and they wanna wear the shirts, right, with all the different names of God because all those names talk about unique expressions from the Lord that really involve our lives today. Well, the one that says, you are the God who personally sees me, well, that was only revealed by a female. Well, I think it would be really neat to be able to say, what is God also uniquely expressing through women today? And I think all of us enjoyed those teachings, shouldn't we enjoy some other teachings as well? Here's another one. When King Josiah wanted to know what God was saying, he sent for Huldah, a female prophetess, to find out what was going to happen to the nation. What if he had gone to someone else? Well, I don't know. He didn't. But what she said and how she revealed God's words changed the course of the nation. That's important. And then, obviously, something we studied quite a bit last time we were together was Priscilla and Aquila. Why did it take both of them to disciple Apollos, and why was Priscilla the lead? It's not that Priscilla is a better person than her husband. It's not that Aquila is a better person than his wife. It's just that they're unique. And so both of them allowed Apollos to have a richer view of God. That's ultimately what we're looking for. So just sharing a, a practical example, I was, I was at a coffee shop a number of years ago and there was a, a police officer there. We got into a conversation and I don't even know how I brought it up or why he would even care But we got into this dialogue about women officers in the force and he said he goes did you know that we're leaning into having more female officers do negotiation for us and that means you know you always kind of hear about in the movies where Something really bad is going down, and and you know uh, John McClain is hiding in the building or something like that. So you have this negotiator, right? And they're and they're talking and saying, uh, "Well, calm down. What do you want?" and all that, you know, negotiation stuff. Well, even in small ways, all the time, law enforcement has to de-escalate situations. He said, "What we have noticed is that our our women are trending higher on the ability to calm difficult situations." So we're starting to realize their value in specifically negotiations. Now, I would suggest to you that there are times in history where our nation is a little agitated. (laughs) Theoretically, not something that you would experience yourself today. But let's say it was really happening. And we needed some de-escalation as opposed to escalation of how things are communicated would it not be wise to speak to those that are gifted in that area? That's an example. What we deal with in our pulpits and in our boardrooms is very important and it's very serious and we need the proper wisdom to be able to handle those issues. We are ministering to both men and women. We need to hear as many perspectives from God as possible. Women and men need to be equipped from the wisdom coming from God through a woman's heart and mind because it makes us all healthier. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Here's the other thing. The church is diverse and it should be diverse because everyone is going through different things in different ways. So sometimes we need a speaker in the pulpit that can connect with us emotionally through vulnerability. Sometimes we need a female speaker who isn't afraid to demonstrate her compassion through tears. Sometimes we need a practical take on things and how it would look every day that is unique through a woman's eyes. Sometimes we need a relational approach to solving problems that men won't tend to demonstrate the same way. Sometimes the heart of a mom preaching is gonna soothe better than a heart of a dad preaching. We have a very deep, powerful, diverse teaching team here at Bridgeway, is that correct? Are they not gifted? They are. Are they all identical? They are not. Why is that useful? Because we need those different voices and different perspectives. It makes us richer as a community. So wouldn't it make more sense that the more diversity from the Lord you can enter into there, we're going to be richer for it that's kind of the point so let me get down to the heart of what goes on here on this pulpit whose teaching is it anyway whose teaching is it anyway yeah god all right don't we believe here at bridgeway that the sermons delivered are the teachings of christ and not simply the opinions of our pastors Don't we believe that the pulpit should be direct communication line from God to the congregation? Don't we preach from the Bible and not simply practical helps of daily life? Yes. Don't we base all of our sermons on the revelation from God? So if all that is true, then isn't God preaching to us? That's our hope. And if that's not happening, we need to swap out a lot more than that, yeah? Does it matter whether women share the words of the Lord versus men sharing the words of the Lord because of the words of the Lord, not human beings. Now, of course, there's opinions, right? When we preach, it's not all straight gospel fact. There are opinions, right? There's commentary, but those opinions are held to the standard of the word of God and accountable to line up with a full counsel of God regardless of the gender of the preacher, in other words, if anything was off, it gets held accountable. So does it ultimately matter whether that is a female voice or a male voice when the whole body is holding it accountable? I'm not so sure it does. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this: that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What was Paul's point? You guys, I give you a lot of info, but I hope you realize what's going on here. God's discipling you, not me. That's key. Because I think that if we do church right, Jesus is always the one leading, he's always the one holding accountable and he's always the one moving in the church. Human beings can be switched out, but God's the one that's the non-negotiable. Amen? All right, here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. All right, so that would be number one about unique revelation and wisdom. Let's go to number two it creates a fuller expression of the church Christ intended. It creates a fuller expression of the church that Christ intended. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus and Paul went out of their way to set a new tone for the Christian church and religious circles by including women in key roles. They would have only done that if it was God's will and part of the design that the Holy Spirit wanted to use to build the church. Gender is necessary. Gender is necessary. What do I mean? God created Adam and Eve and then gave them both commands to take care of the things on earth on his behalf. Is that correct? If Adam could do it alone, God wouldn't have created Eve. She was a necessary part of God's plan for the world to be better. So why wouldn't that be true of God's church and God's body as well? We say, well, there's nothing that a woman can do that a man can't do better. Are you sure that's true? Because I don't think that's true. Here's an interesting piece. Many people are tempted in this debate to say, well, Galatian tells us there's no longer male nor female. So we slide our pendulum to the other side and we say, everybody's the same. Gender doesn't have meaning. There's no roles, there's no hierarchy, there's no design element, and I understand that argument well god is everything we're nothing let's just go ahead and say everybody's the same i've already told you so far in the series i don't buy that i don't think that that is honoring to what god created as a matter of fact i've told you before i don't want a man trying to be a woman to accomplish something and i don't need a woman trying to be a man to accomplish something i need men to do what men do and women to do what women do and to do it beautifully and powerfully yeah That's the whole point. So I believe the proper way to honor women is to honor women, not a sexless being that acts the same. I'm not trying to pull gender out of people. That is not my goal. If we are all the same, then why bother integrating women into ministry at all? You're not bringing anything unique to the scenario. Of course, this is very similar to discussions that happen in ethnicities. People say, I don't see color. Well, that is unfortunate because God created color. And if we don't see the color and use the color, then we can't have the benefit of the color and the blessing of the color. So no, we need to see the color. Y'all remember when uh, Bishop Parnell Lovelace talked about he'd rather it be a stew. You remember that? Because you put in all the different ingredients and it makes the stew better, but they're all individually different, yeah? Yeah. In the same way, I am not interested in erasing gender, I'm interested in highlighting and accentuating gender. That's very, very important to me. Here's the thing, if we are all the same, I don't think that we should be having this conversation because who cares who's in the pulpit? I would suggest to you that the uniqueness of women is what makes it so valuable to have women in the pulpit. Both are necessary. I need all that women can bring. And I believe that there is more for God's church here at Bridgeway. I think that there's other things we can unlock by removing obstacles so that God can use us in a greater capacity. I do not believe that we have experienced even the ground floor example of what God wants to do through our church. A lot of people say, man, I can't wait to return to the book of Acts. Man, if we could only be like the early church. The early church was a mess. I don't want to return to the early church. The early church was supposed to be our preschool. We should be rolling strong far more than the book of Acts ever did. Jesus said, it's better that I go because greater things will you do than the things you've already seen. I just believe there's more for God's church. What great things will we discover together that God has hidden for us as we mutually submit to one another, as we design based on gifting and calling, and as we hear from various sides of God from both genders. That, I believe, is a richness that we should have here at Bridgeway. All right, let's go to number three. Proper representation of women. Proper representation of women. Teaching, training, and learning for women by women from the pulpit. Here's my point. When a woman goes to church, they primarily need to learn the word of God through a male mindset. Because men are preaching, right? The most popular analogies used in any preaching class, and remember, that's what I do. I teach preaching classes at seminaries and at colleges, and what do I always notice? What do guys default to every time? Sports analogies. Every pulpit has had its fair share of sports analogies, because by the way, if you are into sports, you understand sports is a brilliant way to communicate about life. If you're not into sports, it is so boring, and you have no idea what they're talking about, and you're like, whatever, move on, buddy. Yeah? All right. So when does a woman get to go to church and hear female-specific analogies? that all the men would be going, yeah, I don't really understand what you're talking about, right? I think we should equally dumbfound both genders (laughs) with our analogies, amen? So, but here's, and this is one I'm gonna kind of go off for a while uh, because this one's really passionate for me. You ready? I believe there is a lack of access to the highest training in the church for women. I'm gonna say that again. I believe that there is a lack of access to the highest training in the church. Women, in my opinion, in many denominations, and I would say all denominations because of where I'm going to go, but once again, I don't wanna overstate it yet. Women are given a sub-quality of Christian education and mentorship. Why? Because of the trickle-down effect. I understand there are formalized training and then there's natural training. The trickle-down effect limits female engagement. Here's why. Seminaries have historically focused on training men for the ministry, so the most educated Christians in a church tend to be men. Now that's changing, right? The statistics now are that women are graduating. It doesn't mean they're going in, but women are graduating more from seminaries than men are. So that is changing, but that's a very recent change. Historically, and especially the men running churches today, they're back from an era where they would look around and there was maybe one or two ladies in the room. It was all men. In my whole education, very few women did I ever see in the classrooms, all right? So, therefore, Male professional pastors will tend to enter the church as the highest level of authority with the best training. Usually, the senior pastor is the most educated member of the staff, and usually he's male. Now, Bridgeway is a freakish oddity because we have so many degrees flying around this place. I am not, even in a doctoral program, not the most educated of our staff. But in general, the senior pastor tends to be the most educated on staff, right? And here's the problem. Because women and men are segregated from individual discipleship opportunities, men train men and women train women. But what if men are the only educated ones? All right, this is where I'm gonna kind of step into the mess with you. I've invited some pretty high powered ladies to talk to you. Have you noticed that each and every week? We have some people and some of them have degrees out the wazoo, right? There's so much education, right? But here's what's interesting about that. It's kind of like, is it ruining my argument that women needed to be trained more? No, no, no. Most of those ladies have been able to utilize their stuff where? Higher education, not the church. And that is a challenge for me, right? So... Those women have been primarily allowed to use their education in the school system more than the church. And this series isn't about trying to get more equality for women in the higher educational system. It's actually about the church. So let me ask you some questions. Who was Joshua's mentor? Anybody know? It was Moses, right? I mean, we kind of, we tell that story quite a bit. Moses had his right-hand man. That was Joshua. He went with them everywhere. All right, cool. Who was Timothy's mentor? Paul, we know that one. You're my protege, you're my apprentice, you're my son in the Lord. All right, here we go. Who was Deborah's mentor? Yeah, I got no clue. Nope. Uh, If men were the only ones getting higher education, what female mentors were available? Who were the hardcore people dividing the word of truth? All guys. So any female to female mentoring would have only gone so far. You don't have access to the best. Is gender-to-gender mentoring best? I need you to think about this for a moment because it's how we do it. Gender-to-gender mentoring, women mentor women, men mentor men. All right, here we go. I'm gonna tell you the answer is it depends. Here's why. It's best for understanding, being on the same page, ease of communication, privacy issues, and security concerns. Gender-to-gender mentoring, best for all those issues. It's not great if you're a woman looking for biblical instruction. Actually, you will get shortchanged every time. If you want theological training, if you want preaching training, if you want pastoral experience and expertise, it's only great if you're a guy. That's a problem. It's great for different perspectives. If you wanted to hear the same perspectives, you would do gender to gender. If you wanted a different perspective, you would switch that up, all right? The bottom line is that until women are allowed and encouraged to do ministry and Christian education at a high level, there has to be some cross-gender mentorship of some sort, or it doesn't make any sense. How are we going to diversify the education system? Until that levels out, and quite frankly, it only started to level out about five years ago. So we have a whole pipeline problem. Now, at one day we may not even have this conversation because the ladies are just as locked and loaded as all the guys, and we go, okay, cool, everybody gets to go back to their camps, that's great. But here's my problem. When I say cross-gender mentorship, what happens? Everybody gets uncomfortable, that's bad. Right? Isn't that what we say? That's bad. That's dangerous. Right? You can't have that. Men and women can have sex. I don't know if you knew that. Welcome to the conference. (laughs) This is how affairs start. Right? Women get around men. Men get around women. Right? Billy Graham had a rule. He didn't even get into an elevator with a woman. He didn't allow to have any. There was no door shut. There was no, you got a window in everything. We got to make sure we're all right. Every pastor needs an open door. Every pastor needs a clear window so he doesn't have sex with every woman that goes in his office. (laughs) All right. In an effort to protect everyone from sexual sin, the church separated men and women from shared ministry environments especially in the areas of discipleship and training. And the result is it has kept women away from learning from the highest, most qualified and educated leaders, which are men. And it has kept them in a sub-quality environment. Okay, so let's talk about that. We have got to stop being afraid of sex. I understand it's ruined lives, it's ruined ministries. I'm not telling you that boundaries aren't good. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you they're really, really good. But here's what I'm telling you. Fear doesn't get to direct everything in the church. I don't think that's right. Just because we're able to have sex doesn't mean we need to have sex every time. I don't think that's fair. And I think it's an ignorant way of living. Boundaries should be designed around individual situations and for individuals based on personality, weaknesses and strengths, life stages, and maturity. All of that is incredibly helpful and useful, but they need to be designed on the person and the scenario. Simply separating out genders as a one-size-fits-all creates even more problems because we don't understand each other and we start idolizing each other. We need to normalize each other. We need to grow up. You see, the Bible consistently tells men, treat the women of the church like your sister. Why do they say that? Because sisters are lame. That's not why, no, that's not true. No, the point is, there is zero sexual tension. She's a female, but it doesn't matter because she's just another one of the guys. There is an evenness, there's an understanding, there's a, I don't even think of you like that. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm trying to get at. When do we rise as a church to start holding other things more accountable than simply running around and avoiding everyone? I don't think that's quite right. I believe that maturity is healthier than avoidance. Because when you start separating them, men are going to keep seeing women as objects. It's hard to see your sister as an object because she's up in your grill and causing you problems all the time. Right? She's borrowing your socks. That is unfortunate. When I look at Jesus' ministry, I don't see him following Billy Graham's rule. And that's a problem for me. He sent all his guys away and he talked to the woman at the well all by himself, and they all went away. What were they doing when the disciples were gone? I don't know, right? Hmm. Jesus, a single rabbi, spent time with Mary and Martha, as well as Lazarus as his best friends. Jesus engaged with a woman at the well like he would engage with a man all alone. Paul and his crew ministered to an all-woman small group by the river at Philippi, where he met Lydia, and they all went and stayed at her house. Wow, that's sure going to cause a lot of questions. But do you understand that the reason they were able to do that is because Jesus set higher standards. He actually took an Old Testament rule and spun it. Do you guys remember that rule? In the past, it was don't commit adultery. What did Jesus say? If you lose the war in your mind, you're doomed already. I don't want, I don't, I'm not interested in when it finally gets down to what you're going to do. You better back that car up a long way back. You better not think like that. You better not behave like that in your mind. You better not treat them like that in your thoughts because if you do, it's gonna ruin our ministry. Knock it off. That's how I think he got away with it. Our witness matters. So are we also watching out for what people think? Of course. I'm not telling you to blow the whole thing up. What I'm telling you is, can we dial it in to the person? Because here, I'm gonna throw a wrench in it. Uh, Statistics on same-sex attraction are skyrocketing, right? LGBTQ, everywhere. The younger generation, I'm gonna tell you right now, anyone 30 and under, that is their reality. And you know what? It's gonna be their reality in ministry. So now, how do you do the Billy Graham rule? When men are attracted to men and women are attracted to women, but you're separating out the genders. Shouldn't we still have boundaries? Shouldn't we still have wisdom? Shouldn't we still have the ability to go, listen, whoever you're attracted to, if you got issues right now where you're attracted to them and it's not appropriate, we gotta put some walls up, yeah? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Okay, here's my whole point. Christianity as a faith has, was designed around the apprentice model, right? It actually means life-on-life involvement, life-on-life engagement, but with the paranoia about affairs and sexuality, women are not discipled by men, only by other women, Women hear the same sermons, podcasts, read the same books, usually written by men, but they're not invested in like men are. They are not given spent time with like men are. They're not given access to the lives, access to questions, access to role modeling like men are. Women are not allowed into the elder room. They're not allowed into the pastoral circles. They're not encouraged to pursue biblical leadership training. They're forced to operate from the crumbs that fall off the gentleman's club's table. Jesus didn't operate like that. He had Mary at his feet and he said, let's do this. Was there a a fear of anything? No, we had the Lord moving on. Was there accountability? Yes. Should there always be accountability? Yes. Should there always be boundaries? Yes. All I'm saying is that a simple avoidance separation has left our women at a disadvantage. That's all I'm telling you and I'm not quite sure it's right, okay? I believe everyone agrees that women have the gifting of the Holy Spirit for teaching. Most people believe, right, in most denominations that that should be used with other women and be used with children. So everyone still agrees, whether they're super conservative or they're not, they still agree that women are empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach, right? I think we all are on the same page on that. Okay, okay. So the ability to develop that gift and the ability to use them is significantly different for men and women, right? How do you get better at something? Practice. How do you get better at something? Different scenarios, different possibilities. That's how you stretch. That's how you develop your gift. But men have full reign to develop their gifts and women cannot. That is a problem. So then the women that are training women are less good at preaching and teaching. And we create the lowered level again, all right? We need the ability to exercise and get better at things. The more you use your gift, the better you hone it, the more variety of teaching options, the more it strengthens. So what is a gifted woman to do, right? Everyone knows women have been gifted by God to do things, but there's certain things they're allowed to do in the church and there's certain things they're not. Must we chase all women out of the church to use their giftings? Must all women go to parachurch ministries? Must all women go to mission fields to use their giftings? I think that's a little bit of a short-sightedness. Here's the thing. They may have speaking, preaching, and teaching gifts, but they're not allowed to preach to anyone other than a small group. They know they're gifted to lead worship, but they have to lead worship behind a man. They know they're gifted to disciple, but they can only disciple other women. Men say, well, just deal with it. But I'm not so sure men would deal with it. What is a called woman to do? What if a woman hears from the Lord that she's supposed to be a pastor? What if she hears from the Lord that she's supposed to be a senior leader? What does that mean? You know what it means today? It means she has to go run and find a church that agrees with her. That's what it means. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, if she's in the wrong church, she'll be told that the devil gave her that. And I don't think that's fair. I think there's something else. Should a woman have to leave her church to serve in the area that God called her to? I don't think so. Pick up number four. Remember, these are all reasons on why I think it's important to pursue this if it is biblically appropriate. Are we all clear on that? I wanna keep reminding us. Because if somebody just hears this episode and they're like, well, yeah, you can make that argument about anything. No, no, no. Only once it's biblically acceptable do we have this conversation. Does that make sense? All right. So number four reason on why I think we need uh, key women in the boardroom and in the pulpit. uh, Number four, evangelistic impact. Evangelistic impact. Do you know what the most effective form of evangelism is? Now we teach it a lot here at Bridgeway, but maybe you're not familiar with it. Here's the most effective form, and I know that because I've studied all the best leaders in evangelism. And here's what it is, relationship right? I know that wasn't super deep, but that's true, right? More people get saved through relational connections than any other way. All right. Do you know that statistically the number one person that leads people to the Lord on the planet is mom? No other evangelistic opportunity has made more impact than mom. She's the best. Why? That's the stuff I want to kind of Think through for a moment. There's something powerful about the relational bond, the communication skills, the way of interacting that moms lead to significant change. In most cultures, it's the mothers and wives that get the families together. Sometimes it's the moms and grandmas that hold the neighborhood together. It's the women who are networked together relationally. It's the women who tend to feed the people. And we all know that groups form around meals, right? Here's some biblical examples. Remember I told you Nicodemus heard from Jesus and went back and didn't tell anybody, but the woman at the well went into her village and told everybody. That's a relational evangelistic impact. Why? She was doing what she does normally. Why do you think Jesus trusted his first rising from the dead to women? Because he knew they would run and tell the men. They were going to be faithful to do that. It was in their blood. They were connectors. All right? Our misuse of women in the church leadership is damaging our witness to the world. In my opinion, right? Paul was all about protecting the testimony of the church. Do not let us get slandered in the eyes of the world. Do not let us get slandered in the eyes of the world. He was very, very cautious about that. Now... There are some areas that we need to hold as a church that are not popular in the world. And that means we hold that, period. It has to impact our respect in the eyes of the culture. So what? Let the chips fall where they may. What God says is right every time. Doesn't matter what culture says. But when there's an area that God authorizes We need to make sure to take advantage of it when using our testimony to the rest of the world, right? Just like allowing slavery for so long in so many churches across our nation didn't represent God's heart, it didn't represent God's best, and it ended up being an embarrassment and a stumbling block to people seeking God. That happened in our churches. That was an area we should have cleared up in the Bible a long time ago, but we took too long, And we ended up ruining our witness. And I just don't think that's right. I believe the mistreatment and the lack of respect and appreciation demonstrated by the church towards women is not only unhealthy and wrong, it is needlessly damaging our witness to the world. Number five. Number five. Respect and honor of our sisters. Respect and honor of our sisters. Jesus Christ died to save our sisters. They are precious to him, and he demands that they be treated with honor and respect. Amen? Amen. Amen. But whether or not it's blatant or subtle, there is a disrespect given to women when it comes to teaching the things of God. I don't know many men that read books written by women. I don't know many men that listen to sermons by women. There is something about, I could hear it better from a man. Women buy women's stuff, and women are the primary purchasers. So, yes, there's a lot of it selling, but they're the ones that buy it, not the guys. And that's very important. There's a perception that Christian women don't have anything important to say, and I think that's incorrect. Let's talk about equitable respect in titles. Equitable respect. In titles, women are given lower titles and ambiguous roles because of the fear of bestowing them with authority, right? I mean, isn't that the big thing? We read in 2 Timothy, I do not, uh, excuse me, uh, Timothy chapter two, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So the fear of giving a woman authority means you can't call her a pastor. So you have to change her title and you actually have to play a game that means she does the same role, but does not get the name. And you go, okay, well, yeah, that is a little bit disrespectful. Hold on, it goes further than that. And here's my concern. When the women do not have the title pastor, it allows people to consider them less than. Why? Because they cannot say, I was discipled by the senior pastor. You don't get that title. I was discipled by, and in our church, even the women's pastor can't say that either, right? That title's not allowed. Okay. Oh, I went to the discipleship group of an elder. You can't say that because women can't hold that title. Okay. They're always one removed from the seat of authority because we're so afraid of that phrase. And here's where it gets even worse. Equitable equitable pay and remuneration. And everyone's like, oh, I know this one. I've seen this one on the news. Women don't get paid as much as dudes. Okay. Okay. Yes, that is true, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about that the highest positions in a church are restricted for men, right? So if you're gonna support your family or if you're gonna do anything like that, you're not going to be able to do that in the church. That You're gonna hit a glass ceiling at some point, right? But here's the other problem. Did you know that if you have the title of clergy, you get a housing allowance that is non-taxable? Did you know that? If you do the same job but don't have the title, you do not. So now we have people doing the exact same job taking home less pay because of the tax structure. I'm not sure that's right. You see, in the church, titles are descriptive. When you're called a pastor, it means you're a shepherd. It means you watch over things. So, wouldn't it make sense that if you are watching over children, you would be called a children's shepherd? Yeah? Oh, we're too afraid of that term. So, nope, you're a children's director and you do not get the tax break. Does that make sense? Ah, challenging. Let's uh, pick up number six. Number six. This is, these are the reasons why I think you guys—we have to do something. There's some adjustments that need to be made that are just not appropriate right now. That's what I'm trying to highlight. Number six: relevancy to the world. Relevancy to the world. Now I was talking about the evangelistic impact that was specific to sharing the gospel. I want to talk about relevancy to the world. So. Once again, I'm going to re-highlight, there are some areas and issues the church has to be unique and can never change their opinion on. There's things that we're gonna do that are gonna irritate the world, right? We're gonna do things like, we believe in an invisible God and everyone's gonna go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's their problem, right? We don't change that just because it's not relevant to the world, right? How about this? We say things like, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that we believe in a concept called grace, that we believe that the traditional family is strongest, that we believe that God didn't make us the wrong gender, that we believe that contributing financially to advance the kingdom of God is a good thing. There's a bunch of stuff we're gonna do that's not very popular. And that's necessary. You guys, I've spent my whole life standing up for things that are not popular. So if God says no... It's no, but if God didn't say no, we gotta change it. The world has confidence that women can lead at the highest levels, right? Let's talk about women's CEOs. In 2018, 27 of the Fortune 500 companies had female CEOs. That was General Motors, IBM, Pepsi, Lockheed Martin, Oracle, PG&E, and it goes on and on and on, all run by women. According to CEO Today magazine in January of this year, Whitney Wolf Hurd became the world's youngest self-made female billionaire and the youngest woman in the U.S. to take a company public when she launched Bumble's IPO. There's another one. This year, Jane Frazier took over as CEO of Citigroup, making her the first woman at the helm of one of Wall Street's four major banks. She handled that. Lauren Hobart took over Dick's Sporting Goods as president and CEO. Karen Lynch became president and CEO of CVS Health, the highest ranking female CEO in the Fortune 500. All four of those happened in 2021. How about prime ministers? Are there any female prime ministers out there? Sure are. Bangladesh, Denmark, Jamaica, Slovenia, Senegal, Norway, Poland, and more. What about chancellors who just stepped down? Merkel, right? Angela Merkel from Germany. She served longer than almost all the other leaders that were not in for lifetime appointment. She served for 16 years as an elected official for Germany. How about presidents of nations? Do we have any of those? We do. Argentina, Brazil, Kosovo, South Korea, Central Chile, Malta, Switzerland, Croatia, and the list goes on and on and on. But not pastors can't lead a church. You can lead a nation, but you can't lead a church. Now that, what it does to the world, if we're in the church, we start saying, okay, hold on, there's a scriptural lens, we got to put it through. Okay, but I'm talking about from the world's perspective. They don't know any of that. And so you'll have a high-powered executive get saved, walk into the church, and not be on the board. She can run a multi-trillion dollar company, but she's not safe to be on the board of a church with a million dollar budget. That is a little bit off for her. Once again, relevancy to the world. They're going, "What, what cave are you guys hiding in? Doesn't make any sense, right? So the time is up. You know who is the majority filling the churches today? The millennial generation. You know who's coming up? Gen Z. You know who doesn't understand why this issue has not been resolved? The millennial generation and Gen Z. They don't understand. And they're walking away from the church because it's irrelevant. Because they're not seeing it match what's going on. Now, are there some areas they're still gonna have to deal with that in? Yes. Are there some things going on in the world that cannot enter the church? Yeah. We just have to make sure the Bible says so. Okay? It is never about caving to culture. It's about not unnecessarily losing their respect. Yeah? Number seven, empowering other women. Empowering other women. Young women desire great female role models. Yeah? What do you think it says to young girls that we don't have women doing what men can do when clearly they're capable and called? Shouldn't our young girls see a scripture-soaked theological woman standing in our pulpit telling them that God is the most important thing and his word needs to be honored? Shouldn't our young girls who are gifted in business be able to see a woman on the elder board using her gifts, not just in the world, but in the church? The lack of support and confidence in women in the church is clearly shown. It's been said that you can't make a church ethnically diverse until there's representation on the stage, and with money backed behind them and authority, wouldn't the same thing be true about females? Yes. Ah. What have women been taught through the last 2,000 years of Christianity? So here's an added concern that I have. And I'm gonna share something with you that sociologists have picked up on, but it's something I believe in very strongly because of my years in ministry watching it happen. And that is this I believe very firmly that a father speaks to his daughter's self-worth. Mom trains her on how women do things. And the daughter can argue with that or whatever, but that's her standard. But when it comes to how she feels about herself, it comes from dad. The reverse is true for moms and boys. Moms dictate whether or not a boy feels good about himself and confident about himself. Dad demonstrates what a man looks like, and he can argue with that or not, but it goes cross when it comes to our guts. Why do you think it is in football games, big burly dudes run up to the camera and go, hi, mom, <laughs> look at me. Why are you pointing that out? Why are you not calling dad out? Because she was the one that said, oh, look at my, my prince." Look at my boy, he's the best one ever. And he's like, yeah, I am. Same thing happens for dads and daughters. Why is there such a crisis of fatherlessness in America and a crisis of women's identity? I think they're leaked, y'all. And here's my biggest problem with it. What are the spiritual dads saying to young girls? Right? Are we telling young girls, you can do anything, or are we not? So boys will grow up in the church believing they have sky's the limit, but girls won't. Hmm. So let's get into the practicality of it. There are some of you that when I talk about this type of stuff, you get really rattled inside. You still have some stuff to sort and sift, and you hear what I'm saying about Scripture. You've never heard it really explained that way before, and so a lot of this is new. And you still have to have a little time to get your bearings. I want to give you a safety concept because I know that not everybody is peaceful here. So let me give you a safety concept. Have you ever heard of spiritual covering? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? A spiritual covering means that Uh, Like, for example, do I have the authorization of the church to do something? Do I have the ability? And it's in certain streams of Christianity, it's really important, where somebody would say, well, am I doing what's right because I have somebody over me as an authority that tells me I'm okay? God is working through them to hold me accountable. That's called a spiritual covering. Here's what I need you to remember. There are two things you need to know about Bridgeway when we're walking through this process. Number one, Bridgeway will never step away from being Bible-centric and Christ-centric. That's never going to change. Once again, if I didn't see this in Scripture, I wouldn't talk to you about it. Everything we do has to be grounded and anchored in Scripture. We will never change that. We're not going liberal. We're not wandering from the truth. We're not being pulled by culture. None of those things are true. They're all foolishness. We have demonstrated for a quarter of a century, we stick with Jesus, we stick with God's word. That is not going to change. So number one, that's your safety. Number two, and this is very important for those of you that worry about covering. Bridgeway, as long as I exist, always has a male covering. And here's why. Our elder board runs the church with me, but they can't even fire me. The congregation has to vote on it. So although I'm one among many, ultimately they're an advisory board. I'm the chair of the board, which means any elders are under my covering. Anyone that steps into this pulpit cannot get here unless I authorize it. They're under my covering. There is no such, so a lot of us are worried about, well, there's an authority over men and then and what? Do I, hold on. Have peace. Because as it stands right now, and maybe God will change something one day, but as it stands right now, there is a spiritual male covering over the entire church. Should it always be like that? I don't know, we can debate that. But I'm telling you, it is what it is. You never have to be afraid that we've stepped out of God's will. That's not right, okay? And then let's hit some practical considerations as we land this plane. I want to close with two practical considerations. Uh, The first one is, should women be senior pastors? We're going to talk about this very practically. Should women be senior pastors? Now, I happen to know a number of female senior pastors, and I will support them all day long. And I will always give them whatever I have just as I would to any male pastor. And I will be their champion. But I'm going to ask the question, is that how God wanted it to be? And I have some challenges in my spirit on whether or not right now is the right timing in society for that to flourish. So I'm gonna walk you through that for just a moment. All right? Should women be senior pastors, right? Now, I think that Christ being the head of the church should solve that issue. I think theologically, because Jesus is the head, remember I told you it really doesn't matter who's running things because Jesus is always the head. So it shouldn't put that all to rest and we should all be peaceful there. But there are some practical considerations. For example, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis was not pro-women priests. Why? Now, he's Anglican. And he believed that that priests, which once again, we're not Anglican, but he believed that priests were intermediaries for God. And so it was necessary to show the heart of God to have a male representing Father God. Does that make sense? That is a fair question. Is that most healthy because God revealed himself as male? Do we ultimately need the head of the church to reflect the heart of the Father? I don't know, but it's a great question. I'm just posing that out to you. But here's the thing. My two areas of concern practically of women senior pastors are actually this. The first one I call the Deborah dilemma. The Deborah dilemma. And here's, I'm not sure whether or not women can be at the top of the church without being disappointed in all the men. <laughs> Here's what I mean. I mean that when Barack was like, she goes, hey, I need you to go out to war, and he's like, I'm not going without you. And she's like, do I have to do everything? Like, come on, man, what am I gonna fight your wars for you too? I already run the nation, what is wrong with you? That there's a resentment element that can come into play that I'm handling everything. Because once again, there's not a lot of releasing for women over the home, right? So you gotta run the home, you gotta run your business, you gotta run your church, you gotta run everything. And then what happens is men will tend to step away and disappear, all right, okay. So I'm not sure whether or not there is going to be some ultimate resentment, but I mostly see that dynamic occur in wives, right? What happens is you have a strong woman get married. She's going through her marriage and she's handling everything and nailing it down. And then she comes to my office and says, my husband won't step up. I get it all the time. And you go, well, hold on. You're getting more gifted than he is. Yeah, I know, but I'm sick of doing everything. But you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know, but he needs to step up and do his part. Okay, I hear it over and over and over and over and over that when there's strength, all of a sudden you look around and you go, where's my buddies? Who's helping me do this thing? Why am I here alone? There's something going on. I don't know if it's cultural. I don't know if it's a design element from God. I have no idea. So I hold it at arm's length. Now, most women I know crave a strong male person in their life that used to be dad, dad's out so then it's kind of like well who's going to be a strength that i can lean on well when you're the big dog there is no strength to lean on and i'm not sure whether or not that can be adjusted for or not now this is where um the response comes in from the ladies hey dude how about you let us make that call Right? I appreciate you mansplaining it. I appreciate you telling us what we need to do. How about you let us figure it out? If we're strong and we need something in our lives, how about we compensate for it? All right, cool. I appreciate that. You are allowed to say that and you probably have a solution. What I'm asking you is to think through the solution. I don't know. Here's my other problem. I call it the abdication issue. The abdication issue. Um... I don't know if men can naturally thrive under a female senior pastor without struggling with their own identity. And here's why. Men have a hero complex, whether they like it or not. Men lean into where they're strong and they bail out where they're weak. They lean in where they're strong and they bail out where they're weak. If their wives are stronger than them, they will abdicate the leadership role and bail out and do their own thing. That's just a fact. I'm not telling you it's healthy. I'm not telling you it's a great idea. I'm telling you it's how it is. And so when you have the top CEO or the top of anything be female, a lot of times, I'm not quite sure men are mature enough to continue to engage fully. Now, I don't know if that's a design thing. I don't know if it's a culture thing. It may change. People may be able to personality compensate. Okay, that'd be great. But this all leads into my second practical consideration, Right, here's my next question. The first one was, should women be senior pastors? Here's my second one. Do women in leadership chase men out of the church? Right, that's always an argument I hear. Well, if you have too many women leaders in, the guys aren't gonna show up, right? Man, we do a conference on women in leadership. There's a big majority of women here, right? Okay, so here's the deal. Everyone that's privy to how local churches work knows that we have a male engagement problem in the church. One report cited the typical church has 61% females in it and 39% males. That's a problem. Why? Because I think in the upper room, males were the majority when the church kicked off. How did they become the minority? Something changed. What is that? Now, maybe it's as simple as women kept showing up and guys didn't. Guys had work responsibilities, guys had all kinds of issues over the last 2,000 years and they began to back out and women backfilled that role. Maybe that's simply what it is, maybe. But here's my argument. I call it the feminization of Christianity. The feminization of Christianity. It sounds like I'm about to say something mean. I'm not, okay, calm down, all right? Here's what I mean. Men are struggling to engage in the church because we lean into where women are strong. Here's my example. In America, modern day church, We rely on four things. Here you go. Number one, observing and receiving information in our sermons, talking about personal things and sorting personal lives, that's small groups, reading a book together and trying to understand it, that's classes, and singing together, that's worship. Okay, you tell me which of those men are stronger in. They're not strong in any of those four. That is not their areas. I know men in my life that have never read one full book. And yet, how do you excel in Christianity? You know the word of God and you study it every day. Now, are there great men scholars? Yes, but that's personality-driven, right? Once again, I wrote two books. You know what I was told by all the industry? You're writing for women. Women, buy your books. Men don't buy anything. Men don't buy books. All books are written with a median age, of women from 30 to 60. That's how it's all written. Why? Because they're readers. Men are not, unless they're academic and intellectual. Okay, so here's my point. The other way you excel in Christianity is you share your feelings. Why do you think I thrive here? (laughs) Because I'm barely a dude. The way you share and talk about what's God doing in your life. What's going on with you? How are you emotionally transforming? Guy's like, dude, I have no idea what you just said. And I feel so uncomfortable right now, right? Okay, and then, hey, we're all gonna sing together. Guys are like, I do not sing anywhere but the shower, right? Okay, so here's the point. When you lean into women's strengths, men can't feel like heroes, and they lean away. Men become workaholics because they're good at their job. Men hang out with their buddies because they're good in those areas. They do not lean in where they're not going to be great. And our church is designed where they're not great. Now, early Christianity was very different. It was a doing faith. Hey, you know what we're gonna do today? We're gonna heal people, we're gonna cast out demons, we're gonna get thrown in jail, who's with me? Let's go. (laughs) Guys are like, I'm in. Ladies are like, Nope. see ya, right? I, you know, hey, I'll cast a demon if it comes after me, but you know what? I'm not gonna go look for one. There was persecution the whole time. It was a lot of beating, a lot of torment, a lot of harsh. That's where men thrive. In a peaceful time, men don't know what to do. They're not quite sure what to do with their hands or what they're to do with their gifts. So we have a male engagement problem, Right? Now, the solution to the missing man problem is not lowering women. It's actually engaging in areas that men feel they can be strong in. So, for example, we kept trying to solve it in the church. We did the Promise Keepers movement. That'll solve it. And then it did for about eight years and then stopped. Why? Promise Keepers was designed around responsibility. That is still not the passion of a man. It's saying, dude, man up and do your job. They said, okay, I can do that for a little bit. And they did it for about eight years and they gave up. Then came wild at heart. Men, you must all be lumberjacks. And you need to go kill something and eat it, right? That only actually ministered to a segment of personality. All the rest of the guys are like, I'm not going to the men's camping trip. I'm gonna read a book. Until we dial in to where men feel valuable, we're gonna keep missing them. So once again, this is not a, how do we lead a women's revolution, kick out the guys thing. We need our men or we're never gonna be what we were designed to be. Amen? Amen. So we finish with this. We need each other. What I'm looking for in this church is mutual support, mutual submitting, and mutual partnership. I'm looking for interdependency. I'm looking for what the Trinity is. There is still role and hierarchy. There are still strengths and weaknesses. There are still noticeable differences. I'm looking for all of that. I'm just looking that we would partner together and everybody comes to the table for the best person, right? I'm talking about people locked into their rules. I'm talking about when it comes to practical leadership in the church, right? We need to be able to have the best person in the best role. Once again, we are all the bride of Christ. Jesus is the only husband in the room. He's the head of the church, we're not. And I think that promoting women The ministry of God is always a healthy idea.